Growing up, there was three things uh, my father and grandfather used to always talk about. Whenever they got together, they talked about these three things. The first one is UK basketball. Am I right, all you UK fans out there, right? What? No? Boo? Okay. Hey, I heard a clap. <laughs> all right, there we go. So UK basketball. Uh, my grandfather's a die-hard UK basketball fan. Whenever they're on, he's watching them live. If not, he's recording them. But that's something whenever they get together, they constantly talk about. And my grandfather's such a UK fan that a few years ago when he was getting heart surgery, done pretty serious surgery for a guy at the time who's in his mid-80s, so he's 90 now, um, was about ready to prep for heart surgery, and the surgery team was coming in to get ready to wheel him out. We'd already prayed and stuff. So we are talking UK basketball. And uh, my uh, beloved brother-in-law, Jordan, was there, who happens to be a die-hard Purdue fan. Purdue fans? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Ah, get excited. Uh, Purdue basketball fans. Um, So as they come into Wilhelm Mount, they start talking about DeMarcus Cousins. If anybody knows who he is, he's a one-and-done UK basketball player, like a lot of them, I'll admit. Um, One-and-done UK basketball player. And then my brother-in-law, as they're wheeling my grandfather out, decides to, gets fed up with all this UK talk, and decides to tell him that DeMarcus Cousins is a thug. Well, my grandfather did not appreciate that. And as they're wheeling him out the door, he's trying to come off the, the operating table to yell at Jordan as they wheel him out. So he's a huge UK fan. Uh, the second thing they love to talk about is their grandkids and all the activity that the grandkids are involved in on a weekly basis. And recently we were talking about Wyatt, uh, our uh, dad's grandson, Wyatt, and baseball. So he's playing t-ball and the coaches pitch ball. And dad's one of the coaches and he's coaching third base. Wyatt's on second. The ball's hit and he tells Wyatt to run except for he says, Wyatt, get on your horse, right? That's a, that's a, a term for going really fast. Well, Wyatt gets on his horse, and he gallops from second base to third base. And we're trying to yell at him, go, Wyatt, go. But we're all doubled over laughing at him galloping. But he made it because luckily kids can't catch or throw at that age. Otherwise, he'd been gunned right out. But the third thing they always talk about when they're together, all growing up and overhearing, is the church. It's the importance of the church. And my grandfather's a deacon at a church, and you know my dad's a pastor at this church, and a deacon at a church in Kentucky. And they always talk about the church, what's going on, talking about each other's members, who's, who's passed away recently, who's had grandkids or kids, um, what ministries are working, what's not working, what, what, are, what are they seeing that we're not seeing. They always talk about the church. And what I learned from that is that they loved the local church. They loved their church. They poured into their church, and it was one of the most important topics to discuss whenever they were together. And they also loved the mission of the local church. And through the scriptures, we see what that mission is. It is to save others through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to go and tell others about Jesus. But to take that a step further, Jesus gave us a very simple plan, very simple plan that we can all do to show that gospel to one another, and it's this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. For Jesus, showing is always greater than just telling. So we're not just supposed to tell one another, hey, we're supposed to love our neighbor. He showed people how to love your neighbor on a regular basis. That's what Jesus was doing in the world. So much so when you read the history of the book of Acts, as we look at the book of Acts, we see how that played out. All Jesus' followers, all his disciples that saw him living out this love for your neighbor ended up playing out in the very first church. In the book of Acts, that's what we see is the very early church, and we see that playing out where they are loving each other on a regular basis. Now, if you've been a part of a church for more than five minutes, 
you know that unity sometimes can be a challenge. In the first church, we see that they were, they were believers that were united in heart and mind with one another in that first church, living after Jesus' way. But in our churches today, and they had some back then too, we find that unity is really hard. So let me go a little bit further. If you've been a part of any group of people, including your family, you know for a fact that when people are involved, unity is hard. And growing up, listening to my dad and grandfather's conversations, they often talked about sometimes we had lack of unity in the church. And there was something my grandfather always said. He always giggled when he said it, and I remember it to this day. And he always would say, there's nothing worse than a bunch of Christians. <laughs> when we get them all together, there's nothing worse than a bunch of Christians. And he'd be talking about the latest dreaded business meeting, because apparently business meetings are the same in every church, whether in Kentucky or in Indiana. But he'd always say that there's nothing worse than a bunch of Christians. But that's because even in a church, unity is hard. But in this first church, we see about the unity that they had. They felt that what they had, what they owned as individuals, was not their own. It wasn't just theirs. And they got that from Jesus. They saw him live that. And there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or had houses would sell them to give for the betterment of the church. And the apostles didn't have to worry about money. They were able to preach and teach Jesus because everybody was taking care of one another. And by the thousands, people rushed into this church to be a part of God's family because of this irresistible demonstration of love that was being shown. Now, Pastor Rob has talked the past couple weeks about the role of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is help us as individuals become more like Jesus. He's the great helper. He's the encourager. However, the role of the church is just slightly different than that. The role of the church is to help the world understand about Jesus so they can look at us as a church and understand about Jesus. And you see, the Holy Spirit and the church are both helpful. When the church moves into a community, it is supposed to be helpful to that community. So if we are supposed to be helpful, the question for us is how do we help our neighbors? Or another question is how do we show the love of Jesus Christ for those people here in Shelby County. So for our church, I think it's clear that we've had the Holy Spirit helping it, or should I say leading it, for, since the beginning of our church. And I'm going to talk about our church, our history, our story, because the local church is very, very important. And we see that throughout all of Scripture with Jesus. When he talks about the local church, it's called the Bride of Christ. He loved the church, therefore we love the church. And if there's any doubt that our church is led by the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to look at our story. We have a great history here at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. We are the oldest organization in all of Shelby County, and we were founded in 1826. And we just celebrated 190th anniversary this month. That's pretty incredible. Almost to 200 years. This church was put together by 10 local families, and this church began a journey that only the Holy Spirit could guide when you look at it. The church changed names a few times. It changed locations around the property. Um, but it continuously served the immediate needs of its community and those around them. And daily and yearly and by the decades, numbers were being added that were being saved. Numbers were being added to this church that were being saved regularly. And that's what, and what I really love about our story is it's similar to so many of the people we see in the Bible. It was a small, ordinary church in the middle of nowhere made up of only 10 families, yet God has used it and grown it to work in a mighty way. 
And God has been faithful to our church because of the faithfulness of those 10 families, just like we saw through the Bible when God blesses faithfulness and blessed it throughout the generations. 190 years later, we're still here and growing. And if you don't believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, look at, look at our demographics of our church. We're in the middle of nowhere in a not great sized town, and the church is just constantly growing. The Holy Spirit is at work in our church. So fast forwarding to the past 20 years, we have seen exponential growth in our church. In 1996, our church had one service in a Sunday school and an average attendance of 181 people. And with the average attendance across America today as only 89, that was incredible for our church in the country. But the Spirit kept on leading, the Spirit kept on encouraging, and by 2000, four years later, the church decided to start a second contemporary service. So now we have our first service and our second service, and we had a lot of growth in young people. We were taking kids to church camps, revivals, mission trips, all sorts of stuff, and we decided it was time to launch a contemporary service. And our church was actively pouring into these youth on a regular basis, and by 2006, six years later, our church had grown to an average of 351 people on a Sunday morning in just six years. And by this time, plans were in place for us to build a new sanctuary that you all are sitting in. And this was supposed to set our church up for the next 50 to 100 years. We we're going to invest all this because we were seeing growth. The Holy Spirit was working. And it was leading. And we were going to trust the Holy Spirit. So we took some financial risk. A lot of us as members that are part of this church were taking financial risk to try and see God's plan work out. And this sanctuary would be able to hold over 450 people, and it would add some children's space in the back that would accommodate the rapid growth that we're seeing for these kids. But the Holy Spirit had other plans. And in 2016, this year, this current year, the church is averaging over 630 people a Sunday, pushing the limits of this fantastic building in less than nine years of it being built. So what caused all this growth? And the common theme through it all was the leading of the Holy Spirit and people being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout this time in our church, you could, you could say there's a lot of different things we focused on. We can make a giant list of things that are important to us as a church, but I'm going to narrow them down to two things. And the first one is discipleship, and the second is outreach. So discipleship and outreach. Discipleship, that we are to love our fellow believers. We're supposed to encourage each other. We're supposed to learn more about the Scriptures. And then outreach, that we're supposed to love our neighbors as Jesus showed us how to do, even though they may be different than us. We are to love our neighbors. And so on discipleship, we're one of the few churches left, large churches left, that still do Sunday school. We're, there's a lot, there's a big movement away from Sunday school and two, you know, outside Bible studies and small groups, but we believe that Christian education is essential to the personal walk of a believer. Deep Bible teaching is something that can't be substituted from a 20-minute two, sometimes 30 minutes, sorry, sermon on Sunday, it cannot be substituted for just that sermon on Sunday. There has to be more going deeper into God's Word. Additionally, we have Bible studies nearly every day of the week, and we have groups of all sizes meeting to study God's Word and to encourage one another in community. Because we believe to be able to be used effectively by God, we must first be in tune with His Word, with His commands, and also with His community, His church, His local church. And the church is always one generation away from extinction, so we plug heavily into our youth, into our children. And we believe that the Bible teaches us to raise the children up in the way they should go, not that we are supposed to let them make their own decisions for themselves. We see how that's kind of turning out in our society today. We, the Bible doesn't teach you to do that. If you're doing that, you're wrong. Read the Bible, sorry. 
off soapbox. In the last 12 months, our church has seen exponential growth with kids. We've had over 30 kids born in the past 12 months to a member or attender of our church. 30 kids. So in two years, that means we're going to have 30 terrible twos running around this church on top of the 50 to 60 kids we have on Sunday mornings already. One's mine. Um, she's, I was up all night. She is already terrible too, but she's six months. Anyway, so that's why we're constantly making rapid changes around here, and we're trying to plug into the Holy Spirit to see where is he leading us, because we're outside our element. We as a church, we don't know what we're doing, and we are relying on the Holy Spirit. Now, if we only train ourselves, if we only do discipleship internally and focus on the inside of the church and never serve outside, then we're falling short in our duties as servants of Christ. So that's why we believe outreach is so important. And one of the mottos you hear here at church constantly is we are a church that reaches out. A church that reaches out. And as a church, we do that in different ways. Our church gives money to other ministries within our local community, within our state, nationally, and also globally. We serve missionaries, and we even serve our local FCAs and and student Christian groups with financial support to make sure that Christ is being preached in our schools. As a church, we do things to take the love of Jesus to our neighbors as well in our county. We spend thousands of dollars a year to serve our community a meal, to host sports camps, to rent out the city pool and YMCA, to host mission events locally and out of state, all so we have the opportunity to show the community the love of Christ and to show him the love of Christ. And we have ladies that volunteer their time to ensure everyone has the opportunity for a meal on Wednesday night. We have teachers who volunteer their time to teach the children, the rapidly growing children that we have. We have families that will walk up and hand us money in the hallway if we've got an event going on to make sure if there's a child that can't go, that can't afford to go, that they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. As a church, in one Sunday, you gave $20,000, $20,000, that's a heck of a lot of money, towards a pool at a church camp. 20000 for a pool at a church camp. Now, some of you are probably asking, why in the world would you give that much money to a pool at a church camp? Because that church camp has made a massive difference in their lives, in their children's lives, and for some people, that's where they came to know 